0: To the latest episode of Ram's Rants, and today I'm joined by Sonny Webster. Sonny is a British Olympian weightlifter and is also now a weightlifting coach. So, Sonny, thanks a million for coming on, and how is all with you today?
1: So, oh, no problem at all. Thank you very much for having me.
0: No bother, no bother. I know it's been it's been a while in the work, so grateful to finally get you on yes
1: busy (laughs) very busy at the moment but no it's a pleasure
0: thanks all the same so one of the first questions I always tend to ask guests when they come on is you know if they've built up a career and whatever walk of life it is but was there ever a moment was there ever kind of a human being early on before you went on obviously your fitness journey that kind of made you get into weightlifting was there a person was there a moment where you're playing sport like what got you into the into the sport to begin with
1: yeah, well, I mean, as a kid growing up, um, I wasn't actually involved in weightlifting at all. I was a very keen golfer um, at a young age. My dad was very much so into um, his golf and naturally used to take me to the driving range to play with him. And um, I knew I was always into sport. I'd play with all the different, different school sports teams, but there was never anything for me that really stuck out as, OK, this is, you know, this is me. This is what I want to be doing. Um, up until a moment when I was sat in a maths class, and I would have been about nine, eight, or nine at the time, and uh, the P teacher came running into the classroom. And it was right at the point um, where, you know, just before we were about to announce the bid for the Olympic Games. So the P teacher ran in and said, Look, sorry, we're going to have to interrupt this maths class. We need to use the TV. And the TV went on just at the moment where David Beckham and Kelly Holmes were jumping up and down, hugging each other. And I don't know what it is about that moment for me, but that definitely stands out to me as a moment that I thought, shit, I want to go to the Olympics. Um, I think it more than anything, it was just the passion that I could see um, in David Beckham and Kelly Holmes' faces um, that, you know, made me think, well, one day I want to feel that way. And, for the next couple of weeks in school, like I said, I'd participate in all the different sports. I've got little stumpy legs, so high jump was no good for me. The 80-meter uh, the sprint was great until it turned into 100 meters. Um, and I could throw a cricket ball really well until it turned into being a javelin. So there was nothing really that was standing out for me um, as to where I should be dedicating my time. And at that moment, uh, golf wasn't an Olympic sport. So we ended up moving down to a new school down in Ivory Bridge, and naturally not knowing anyone at the school, um, I used to wander the corridors and I stumbled across a weightlifting gym one day and uh, I walked in and sat myself down on the bench and the coach came up to me after about, you know, two weeks of sitting down watching these kids do weightlifting and said, well, why didn't you come over and go yourself? And for me, weightlifting was never really, you know, on my radar. It was just something that I used to do to fill in my time, I guess, at lunch. And, yeah, after about two weeks, coach said, look, why don't you come have a go yourself? And I was like, no, no, it's not for me, miss. Sorry, I'm a golfer. And uh, the coach turned around and said, look, Sonny, you've got tension now. Tomorrow, lunchtime, you've got to come have a go because you've been a bit of a nuisance taking the mickey out of the, the kids that are uh, trying it out. So two yeah. weeks into school, got my first detention and um, the next day I went along and purely because I'd sat and watched Weightlifting done wrong and done right for nearly two weeks, I had a pretty good idea of what was going to be asked of me and I ended up beating everyone on my first day and the coach turned around to me and said, look Sonny, you got detention now every lunchtime until you want to be here and that's how I spent the rest of my time in school.
0: Right, so it was nearly like a, a forced upon venture by yourself <laughs> um, in an interesting circumstance. But yeah, no, that's that's an interesting way to get into something. And people who are aware of your work only realize that you did go on to the Olympics. And as you said, seeing David Beckham on the, on the TV kind of gave you that jolt of inspiration to go about us. And one of the things I'm kind of interested in now, and obviously the coaching side of things now is quite important to you, but I'm sure like when you got into the weightlifting side of things, you were setting small goals. And then eventually the big one was obviously to go to the Olympics. But say if you fast forward to current day, you're now kind of still training hard yourself. You're obviously doing seminars, you're doing coaching, online coaching. Like what, what is your motivation or how has that changed from back when, say pre-Olympics to now, where there isn't, say, a clear competition or a clear goal? Well, there probably is goals, but they're just not as evident from people looking from the outside in.
1: Yeah, I mean, this this is a great question because we're talking in the expanse of nearly 15 years from that moment that I started to obviously go into the Olympics to now naturally progressing into more of a coach's role. I think just to touch on, I guess, those first few weeks when I first started out in the sport. And, you know, I think it's very important, especially for the people that are listening to You know, anything that you're getting into, there is you do need to have an element of goals and, you know, targets in terms of what you want to achieve. And I remember very early on in one of those first couple of sessions, my coach turned around to me and said, Sonny, all that you can achieve or the most you can achieve in the sport of Olympic weightlifting is to get to the Olympic Games and to win a Commonwealth gold medal. And if you can do those two things as a British weightlifter, then you've achieved everything that you want to be. And then not too long after that moment, coach turned around to me and said, whatever happens, as long as you leave the sport in a better place than when you found it, then, you know, you've done, you've done your bit for weightlifting. And those two, I guess, quotes or sayings have always stuck through me throughout my career is, I guess, an overlaying, over, overlying goals or I guess, I guess direction in terms of where I was going within the sport of weightlifting and having obviously achieved the Olympics that was one of the main goals that I always wanted to tick off the other was the Commonwealth gold which I unfortunately haven't yet achieved but who knows maybe one day that may still be on the horizon but in terms of leaving the sport in a better place than where I found it has been you know where the majority of my energy has gone into um, my practice over the last few years and I guess the sport of weightlifting notoriously it's a very dull boring not very initially when I started it wasn't extremely accessible it wasn't great as a spectator sport and you know participation levels in the sport were very low and -hmm. there wasn't a lot of fame or you know I guess people knowing what weightlifting was back in the day so in terms of what I tried to do is over the last few years, is especially with the online academy, I've tried to create a space where everyone feels welcome to participate, to attempt to learn the sport of Olympic weightlifting, where I'm helping educate people as best as I can. Um, and I guess with everything that I'm doing now with my charity, um, you know, Lifting Dreams, we're We've just finished building our first gym out in South Africa um, as a place for deprived children and people in rundown areas to give the kids uh, a safe place to do their homework, to train, and really give them direction um, and you know inspire people really. And that's kind of where my my energy, I guess, is is starting to to move towards now, and I guess moving towards my you know like I said that goal that was set in my first very few weeks of starting the sport to to leave in a better place than than where I found it
0: Mm, yeah no well said I agree I agree and you're saying there now it's the the energy is obviously gearing towards more so the coaching side of it and the many different projects you're involved in whether it's personal or else as part of a team and I'm sure the transition from being the person who is coached and being kind of feeling like an individual, a part of a team to now being an individual who goes out and sources people to become a team because you're the coach now. Like, has that when you first kind of started coaching, because I'm sure all you went off was what you'd read, what had worked for you, what had been, you know, advised um, by other former coaches. Was there anything when you started coaching, whether it was one on ones online or through your own right or whatever? Was there ever a moment where you kind of tried something or you thought something would work and then suddenly it kind of splashed in your face and you're like, right, well, okay, maybe just because it worked for me doesn't mean it's going to work for this athlete or this average Joe or this person. Uh, Was there ever a moment where you're kind of like, okay, I need to kind of reassess Mm. my coaching and be a bit more tailored towards the individual?
1: Yeah, I think the, the world of coaching full stop, regardless of the sport, is, you know, it's a very messy place um, and in my opinion one of the the first debates that always comes up is do you have to be a good athlete to become a good coach and you know I did 15 years as an athlete and then spent you know probably six to seven years working with some of the greatest coaches in the world of weightlifting and as well as studying a four-year degree in sports performance of Olympic weight, And when I look back on all of those different aspects, whereas from my athlete point of view, understanding what I teach to people, what the effect it has on the person, what that individual is going through, helping them process the thought of snatching a hundred kilos. It's, much easier when i'm directing someone because i know what they're going through and know what it feels because i've experienced that myself and even more so when you get to an elite level it's very difficult for example rich for you to unless you do clean a jerk 200 kilos but for example for you to teach me how to to do that feat it's very difficult for you because you have no actual understanding or comprehension of how heavy that is. Mm. And the process, unfortunately, to clean and jerk 200 kilos is very different from the process of clean and jerk 100. It requires different strengths in different areas. And I think that develops you far greater as a coach to have that hat that you can put on when you're working with an elite level athlete, as well as. You know, for me, from a coach's point of view, working with the beginner, having spent time watching, you know, other coaches coach, learning how to sympathize with your athletes, learning how to give direction. There's a hundred different ways to get someone to, you know, for example, stop bending their arms or to get in a set position for a lift. And I think for me, uh, a good coach will have lots of different ways to deliver the same thing. Not only that, it massively depends on the way in which the athlete that you're working with learns. Everyone learns in a different way. Some people learn visually. Some people need to think seeing written. Some people need demonstration. And again, that gives you another string to your bow as a coach if you've got the ability to deliver on all those different levels. And then for me, more than anything, I think people feel as though they need to have Um, qualifications, extensive qualifications to be able to call themselves a coach, I can tell you now, from four years at university, I could bore you to death with the ins and outs and the technical elements of Olympic weightlifting does it make me a better coach? No, but at the same time having that deeper understanding, should people want that, I've got it there, but on a day to day basis, it's not something that I deliver to the people that I work with you know, but having that understanding Mm. like I said, is of benefit and I think one of the biggest things for me, which is like for when you go back to you look at old school Olympic weightlifting, the coaching methods that are out there, the Russian methods, the Chinese methods of teaching and weightlifting, the old school, they're great and there's lots to learn from them. But the thing that's very different about the process that those Russian coaches and Chinese coaches will have gone through with their athletes is they're taking someone who has come out of the womb born to be a weightlifter, have had a bar in their hands from the age of six to eight and are starting to learn how to do the sport from that age and they are full-time athletes. Whereas I'd say the 95% of people that actually are weightlifting nowadays have got into the sport after the age of 18, introduced to it through CrossFit, have day, nine to five day jobs and they just want to improve their Olympic weightlifting to stay hit, fit, stay healthy, um, and to, to move better. Now, the process of teaching Bob from the office job versus Lu Zhao Jun coming out of the womb at seven years old, snatching, <laughs> are very fucking different because yeah. their starting positions are so different. And therefore, when I start to think about you know the way that I've developed over the last few years as a coach, it's been understanding that and then really trying to speak and understand the the struggles that the that Bob has, rather than the struggles that Lu Jun had, which would have been very more similar to me as an athlete. And I think the way in which I went about that was to actually start Crossfitting myself, starting to spend more time in the Crossfit community, starting to learn. About the sport more myself, so that I'm able to actually deliver people um, what they need with an actual true understanding of their start position. And therefore, I think, you know, as the coaches are very quick to complicate things or to use technical jargon that people don't understand to justify their position as a coach. But really, nowadays, it's not what people want and it's not what people are looking for. And I always find with the people that I'm teaching weightlifting, I'm just trying to give them simple things that they can relate to and understand. And I think that for me in the sport of weightlifting will make you a better coach or in any sport is being able to have that vocabulary that athletes understand, but then also be able to be as relatable as
0: possible to the person that you're delivering your knowledge to. Mm. Yeah, no, I've, I've been there, whether it's on the sport field or even in the gym, I think it is important that you kind of can relate to whatever athlete or whatever individual, as you said, the average Joe from the nine-to-five desk job as well. And as you were saying there, with regards to some of the stuff you teach, like some of them are complicated enough lifts. So like if you look at, say, a clean and jerk, there's a lot of moving parts, a snatch, a lot of um, ins and outs to that. So one thing I'd always think of is whoever I see doing a clean, they could be lifting serious weight or not. There there always tends to be slightly different styles to us. I know there is kind of certain techniques you need to use, but like, is there any way to kind of rep your way to success uh, with these lifts? As in like, can you get by doing these lifts or say doing a clean or doing a snatch that may be the wrong way in many people's eyes or someone like your eyes, it may look wrong or the technique is wrong yet still get the maximum out of your lifting potential.
1: I think with with any sport you're going to have those outliers. So f- for example, the Jim Shrick of golf, his swing was <laughs> yeah. completely completely unconventional, yeah, horrendous, technically horrendous, but completely unconventional but yet still was a master was a major winner and was mm. still on the top of the PGA Tour in the top guys for a very long time. But yet, clinically, nothing was fucking right about that swing. And mm. you'll have the same freaksy in weightlifting. Um, I've seen some incredible athletes in my time at Olympo- World- Olympic and World Championship level that, you know, technically are not very proficient, but are still lifting extremely heavy weights. But the thing that I worry about Is the longevity for those athletes. You know, we're lifting extremely heavy weights. Daily, there's gonna be a period in if you're not using an efficient technique where you may get injured. And this is where you'll what will happen, even with elite-level athletes, the guys that are on top, the guys that are winning medals, hang around for a very short period of time. However, I'm trying to teach someone, you know, on a on a low standard level that you know wants to be able to continue this sport for 10 to 15 years use it as a form of social social side of the sport they want to be able to compete for a long period of time and they're generally 10 to 15 years older than the majority of people that you will see competing at the olympics with potentially bad technique so again it's two different kettles of fish i want to give people a technique that they can produce consistently over a long period of time that isn't gonna result in them getting injured. And therefore, that's why, you know, in terms of the methods that I'm teaching people, a lot of the principles are similar to what you'll see of the Russian, uh, not so much the Chinese, but the Eastern European style of Olympic weighted thing. But again, simplified a little bit. And in terms of the process, you know, when I'm working with a beginner, um, and there's anyone that is listening that's thinking about getting into the sport of weight the thing or already likes the sound of it the first thing is to learn how to control your body first learn how to move well and then after you've mastered those areas only then do you put someone put a barbell in someone's hand and then start teach breaking down the elements the movement patterns of the olympic movements and then sewing all of them together before you've got that snatch so there's a very definite process in my head in terms of the what I would go through in order to teach someone, and there's definitely techniques that you know I would avoid that yes, some athletes would get away with, but if we're talking longevity and we're talking health of the body, won't last than the long haul.
0: That's interesting. So like would you say, and like this could even be relatable to yourself if if there's someone maybe struggling to get position or maybe, if their mobility isn't that good, like, so would stuff like ankle mobility, the kind of catch, elbow mobility, would that be one of the first things you'd look at, say, as a coach? And um, before, as you said, you even think about getting a barbell uh, in between them or sticking plates on the side of the barbell before you kind of made the full assessment on whatever athlete or kind of person you were coaching?
1: 100%. And, you know, if people have come to my seminars, the first hour and a half of the seminar is just mobility and movement based, you know, because if you, like I said, if they can't get into those positions. And this is the problem where when a lot of people try and self-teach Olympic weightlifting or they get egged on in CrossFit, to put more weight on the bar to hit the RX weight, they bypass a lot of the key and essential lessons that they need to be doing for two, three weeks before they progress to the bar because they feel under pressure to stick to class standards and to get to the standard they need to be to fit in within the class rather than actually addressing their own issues, taking their time in the process of learning before turning up to CrossFit class and going, okay, I can now control my body. I know how to move. I can get in the positions that are required of me. And then when you start loading the weights on the bar, it's a nice, easy process because as strength goes up and you maintain technique, you'll make a steady, linear progress line in terms of the load you're lifting with hopefully no injuries. However, if you jump into class, go, oh fuck, get improving my mobility, I'm just gonna power snatch for a bit, you'll get to the point six months down the line where, okay, now I'm not strong enough to power snatch the weight, which is not the most efficient way to get it up. I need to now do a full snatch and I'm gonna snatch anymore, but all of a sudden I've got strong in the wrong position and now it's very difficult for me to learn the right technique. And that, I'd say, is 80% of people that come to me mm. because they've tried to hit the shortcut first. It's a dead end and then they have to go all the way back round. And now it's a very long way to get to where they want to be, which, you know, is fortunate because I also wouldn't have a business if it wasn't for that. But at the same time, I'd love more and more people to get the right introduction to the sport um, and take their time be patient and you know it'd make I think the sport have a lot more enjoyable for a lot of people especially in the first few months
0: mm-hmm. yeah no there's nothing nothing more humbling than a barbell really to be honest because <laughs> it's the one thing that never changes it's uh, changes its tone or weight so to speak but with mm-hmm. yourself now being a coach and like there obviously are a lot of lifts that you'd focus on and like without obviously having the time to get into every single detail with one but looking still at the coaching point of view say if you look at say the squats loads of coaches have different takes on us there's different types of squats so like do you just pretty much have a gold standard way of squatting do you use box squats do you load up on the front squats like what you see is some will say the advantages and disadvantage of say the varying types of squatting while training
1: Yeah, it's a great question, and squat's probably one of the most universal barbell movements that you'll find people doing, and yes, there is 101 different ways um, to teach the squat. And the first question I want to ask is, you know, what's your goal? And that makes a massive difference as to the way in which, you know, you teach someone to squat. Are you squatting because you want to develop your leg strength for Olympic weightlifting, or are you squatting because you want a bigger ass? Or are you squatting because you just want to lift as heavy a weight possible? And there would be my three funnels. Aesthetic, performance, or heavy as fuck weight. And then that would be Olympic weight of things, bodybuilding, and powerlifting. So, for example, if I was teaching someone a powerlift, I'd be getting them to squat low bar. I would probably only just be able to get them to legally break parallel. And, you know, we'd use equipment, um, i.e., you know a squat suit knee wraps etc so that they could squat heavier if i'm teaching someone to squat for aesthetics we probably would never go to a point where we were loading submaximally above 80% and we'd be doing a much higher rep range and we'd be exaggerating the the muscles being used that we want to focus on from aesthetic point of view and we'd also be using a very different set of assistance exercises Now, if you've come to me and you've gone, I want to squat more, I'm an Olympic weight, I want stronger legs, then the first process for me is ensuring that you can get through a full range of squat, going into your most efficient position as low as possible, whilst maintaining tension and tracking, but also sitting upright. Okay, and that's one of the biggest things when you squat as a weightlifter or back squat as a weightlifter is you sit a hell of a lot more upright than you would in any other sport because at the end of the day we need to be upright in our receiving position of the snatch and the clean in order to be able to catch in a stable position without putting too much pressure on the shoulders. Yeah. Okay, and that's where the process in which I'm teaching someone would be very different for a squat for an Olympic weight thing. Now, once I'm happy with their technique, etc. And this is one of the biggest things that I find is missed out of squat programs, and I've tried them all, and which is why I created mm. mine um, the way I did. Was for a lot of people, if you front squat, it's not your leg strength that will stop you from squatting more because you can back squat way heavier. It's the fact that your core stability and strength and your mobility in your front rack will give way before your legs will. So therefore, Putting an emphasis in my squat program on the accessory exercises that's going to A, develop your core stability, B, work on your mobility in your front rep position, but also C, the tempo in which you squat that's going to carry over to your Olympic lifts is very important. And there's just as important exercises outside of what you do in terms of the back squat and the front squat that will assist you and help you develop your overall squat. And another thing that's been really important for me in terms of, you know, working with athletes um, on their squat is making sure they're developing a, I guess, an even muscle balance between quadriceps and hamstring. A lot of people who squat a lot will be very quad dominant, not actually work their hamstring so much, get a lot of knee pain, etc. So doing accessory hamstring work to build a better muscle balance. It's a great way to, you know, help with that. And there's all these different methods and styles that we'll do that I think gives you an all-round better improvement in your squat than just working horses for courses on an individual goal. Because, you know, you'll notice with a lot of weightlifters, they'll have great muscle development in their quads, a good range of squat, and in some cases, squat just as heavy as a powerlifter. So... I guess that's kind of my method to the madness in terms of the way in which I'll um, be teaching anyone really how to squat.
0: Yeah. And like say just sticking with the squat and from the eyes of a coach here, there's like I had, I had yeah. Kelly start on there a few weeks ago and he's, he's big on certain things with the squat as well. And one thing I thought was interesting coming from him is that he was saying how so many coaches, when they get into the hole, it's called, or say the bottom of the lift, of the squat, when you go fully down, he's saying he's half of the coaches he's met when you get to the very bottom. Some people are like, you need to be locked in, you need to be full attention, you need to be nice and controlled. Well, then there's also some others that... Like to use the momentum of kind of that bounce when you get to maybe just past ninety percent, and I was just wondering whether it's you personally does your kind of outlook change. So, like, do you do what you would do individually different to what you do as a teacher, or is there kind of one way you like to see people overcome that hole or the bottom of the lift?
1: Yeah, I think the it's a great question. I think one of the Moses Kelly starts does some amazing uh, amazing work, but I think for me um what's important is first of all, can you use if you can use the momentum or what I refer to as the bounce correctly, it can be very beneficial to using the momentum and the stretch reflex in the bottom of the squat. however, a lot of people will see weightlifters such as myself, for example, use the bounce, try and replicate it, but actually lose a lot of tension and um, go into a compromising position when attempting to squat um, that way. So I do think it definitely has a a place, especially for Olympic weightlifting, be able to use the momentum, be efficient um, in the squat, providing that you can keep your tension um, and not go into a compromising position, especially on the knees when you're driving up and out of the bottom position. The moment in which you, I guess, accelerate into the hole or catch momentum needs to be as low down in the squat as possible, and that still requires for you to descend with a lot of control into the bottom position first. So working slowly, eccentrically, and then driving out through the sticking point. You're hoping to always stand up faster than you go down when you're squatting for Olympic weightlifting, or in general. But in terms of using the using the pause squat or using um, a a squatting style in which the tempo of the squat is is linear throughout the whole range is great also for Olympic weightlifting anyway as accessory. So although I'll squat quite fast and I'll use the bounce purely because that that for me is my most efficient way to squat and it'll carry over into my Olympic lifts better and that's always the way that I've done it, I will still do drop-down sets where I will point my toes a little bit straighter and I'll put the emphasis more into the hips on the squat and I won't go quite so low and I'll use a consistent tempo because at the end of the day, I'm going to work different muscles harder um, squatting that way, which inevitably on on the whole will only add to what I'm doing anyway. So I think it's good to play around with with both styles, providing you're executing it with the correct technique, rather than just trying to replicate something that you've seen um, online. Because you can get into yourself into some very sticky situations trying to drop or go fast through that lower range of the squat if you're not keeping tension um, throughout that lowest range. Yeah,
0: no, I agree. Even
1: when you're doing a pause squat, you know even when you're doing a pause squat three second pause, you've still got to keep the tension there you're not necessarily relaxing in that bottom position you're just momentarily working isometrically before you change direction
0: yeah no it's uh it's one of the darkest places to be when you get to the very bottom or on any lift and you're kind of thinking okay this is uh this is not going to be good but you no, know, some interesting points there i agree and one of the last points just on the coaching side of things only before I kind of quickly ask you just a few things about yourself maybe as an individual in the gym is just say for instance when you have a a client or someone you're working with who is as I said it's all about kind of the power stuff it's about getting as much plates on that barbell as possible and getting the lifts heavier and heavier uh, progressively like every athlete whether it's a Pro athlete or someone who's keen on the gym to get their lifts up on whatever bench, clean squats, whatever, you eventually at some stage, and we've all been there where you kind of face the plateau and you've kind of been going for weeks and weeks and weeks, and suddenly your training's just hitting against a wall. And like as yourself as a coach, like to in order to get past that and add that extra 2.5 or that five kilo onto the lift, like is it a case where you need to then just assess the training and changes or, as you actually even said earlier in the podcast, do you need to just be patient and just keep hitting against that wall until eventually it falls over? Well, I was just curious to ask, like, is there a set kind of moment in a program where you go, okay, we've hit the wall, we've plateaued, we need to change things up, or do you just keep going and trust the process?
1: Yeah, it's, uh, again, it's a, it's a great question and I think, you know, People will very quickly jump to, the, jump to the idea that they've hit a plateau when they don't see progress. And it really comes down to how you define your progress. And for me, I've not snatched more. Um, I haven't got PV in my snatch in two years, two or three years, I'd say. Now, would I say I've plateaued in my snatch? Not necessarily because there's been a lot of elements of my snatch that's improved greatly in terms of the speed, the efficiency, and the technique. So I think it really depends on how you're quantifying your progress. If you're going purely off your numbers, then it can be very easy to get to the point where you go, oh, I've plateaued. Whereas, you know, I think goals for Olympic weightlifting especially, or gym-related anyway, there needs to be a certain element of them that aren't purely on the number that you're lifting. Although that may may seem like the most important, again, if we're talking longevity, what's actually important is the whole movement and things are extremely technical. So I'm interested to see whether, you know, and I liken it to, to this for CrossFit, okay? So if we're referring purely as plateauing in your, in your snatch, uh, the areas of the snatch that we would talk about would be mobility, speed, obviously outright weight catch position and each one of those just for example those four are cups okay yeah. now every time you go into a, a snap session and you just snatch and you go for a pb i liken that to just going and and sprinkling or pissing over these cups trying to fill them all up okay and a few sprinkles will land in each cup but it's a hot day and it'll evaporate and really, there's no significant improvement across that overall area of your snatch. However, the way in which you need to approach your training, if you're, you know, if you're hitting a plateau or getting to the same numbers and not seeing progress, is trying to aim and fill up one area of that cup first significantly before moving on to the next area. So for example, putting in some consistent practice on developing your strength and positioning on the pool. Spending a period of time on a strength program so you develop the strength in that pool once you've seen significant improvement in that area you come back and then go right mobility snatch mobility was the next area that I'm struggling with and for this period of time four weeks say I'm just going to improve my mobility in my sitting position of the snatch once you see significant improvement in that cup you move on once you've gone across all four cups or built the base wider, you're now ready then to move on to attempting a new PB. And I think it's just always remembering with the Olympic weightlifting that it's an extremely long game and you always have to drop back periods to build your base up before attempting a PB again. And progressively overloading is great, but you have to period periodize your training, your percentages for a longer period of times. The more that you stick in at weightlifting, and nine times out of ten, especially for beginners, it isn't like I said the strength that holds them back. It's the fact that their technique isn't proficient enough, and unfortunately it's such an ego hit for people to have to go if your snatch is 100 kilos for example to go right i need you to jump back to 40 kilos for six weeks so that we can focus on your mobility and your technique before we go heavier again and most people look at me and go there's no fucking chance i'm going to be snatching <laughs> 40 kilos for, for four weeks and so you can fuck off and they'll I'll go okay, okay no problem and they'll go back and they'll put in another six months of training and they may get a one kilo improvement in their snatch. Which yeah. you know, it may be that may be great for them. But if we're talking longevity here, that's that's not the, the be all and end all. And that's the one of the most difficult things to try and drum into people is to be like, please be patient. Let's just put egos to one side here for a second. Let me let's drop the weight down, let's work on your technique, let's work on the not so sexy stuff, and we'll get you through and past that plateau. But, you know, the, you've got to put the confidence into the people that the process is worth
0: it. Yeah, no spot on. I even remember because I had actually serious issues with my LCL and it meant that I pretty much didn't touch a, a squat for about a year. And I remember going back, whether it was, I think, maybe five, six years ago, I was 170, 180, and then I get back on the squat rack and I'm working on my technique. And I remember one of the local SNC coaches that I knew from my school was like, yeah, just do the barbell. I was like, nah, I don't need to do it. He's like, just do the barbell. We're gonna to have to completely restructure you again.
1: Let's restructure, let's rebuild. Let's start yeah. back from the bottom, rebuild the base. That's it.
0: Yeah. And I think it's important you mentioned that kind of not having that big ego. And I even had a a cross for that Lee like Roy Stone on the podcast and he said one of the most important things for in CrossFit and any gym is just leave your ego at the door because no one's perfect at every lift. No one's the best at every lift. There's always something that's going to be not as good <laughs> as it should be. And you've got to be able to just take a coach or someone saying, listen, you're good, but you're not that good, so you need to fix this. So you can't just walk But not only
1: that, even... Even easier than that, Richie, there's always someone out there with a bigger fucking knob than you, a bigger snatch than <laughs> you. You know, at the end of the day, there's always someone out there. So like, it doesn't matter if you're world champion. There's always someone out there in the depths of the darts who will be lifting more than you, will be, be doing better than you. And I think the quicker that you can come to terms with that uh, and not just think small, like, big fish, little pond mentality, um, you know, it makes it much easier to take that step back.
0: Yeah no 100% and just one of the things here Sonny is just now reverting back to kind of yourself as an individual a few people sent in a few questions with regards to like your own style of training and stuff like that and one of the questions that was sent on was say for yourself when you're lifting heavy albeit on any or it could change actually depending on what uh, exercise you're doing but like they were kind of asking what kind of rep ranges or complexes you'd use before you build up to that max or that one rep max
1: yeah i think you know adding adding variation to the olympic movements is great if you're training enough and especially for beginners and i probably I'm not helping the cause here, but purely what I do is for entertainment. Yeah. But you will see various different, um, complexes, um, combining different movements of the Olympic, list put together and you'll people will wonder, well, I wonder why he's doing that. It is purely for fucking entertainment reasons. (laughs) It is not anything in particular that I'm doing there by doing the complexes or an array of movements there to, to develop my technique. However, Using combination movements, for example, a simple complex like Power Snatch, Hang Snatch, Snatch, is going to help you develop a certain level of um, control over the bar. Using Hang Snatch as a variation if you're already snatching twice a week is great because you're going to work on a key element of the second phase of the snatch that you know probably needs a little bit more attention than the overall product. And what you've always remembered, is any exercise that isn't the classical movement, i.e., the snatch and the cleaner jerk, is there to assist or to improve an element of the classical lift? And because that's ultimately what you want to improve on. And I think, you know, we can very easily get fixated on improving. Um, getting a massive snatch balance for example or getting a massive hang snatch that far exceeds your actual snatch but you actually end up developing a technique for the hang snatch that is got no relation to what your actual snatch looks like and therefore you've just got good at an exercise that is non-existent or something that you don't necessarily compete in and the whole complex thing came about for me um Purely on the basis that I got bored of flicking through my Instagram feed and just seeing lots of snatches, lots of heavy snatches. And I want to give some people something else that they could watch from a spectator's point of view that was not just showing who could lift the heaviest weight, but showing, you know, a certain element of skill in bar control. But not only that, it allowed pe- people to have a go and practice and try my complexes with the weight that's suitable for them to feel that, you know, they're training in a style that I'm doing, which was really cool to relate with people on that level. But also, like I said, for me, in order to improve my snatch, I had to train for a very long period of time with my whole time and focus and energy towards that goal if I was going to see progress. Whereas, you know, combining a few movements um, enabled me to get PBs <laughs> in random movements or exercises a little bit more regular than I would do in my in my full snatch. <laughs>
0: Yeah, which is a blessing in disguise in some cases. And yeah. Another another question kind of related to that would be and like this kind of ties into coaching as well. So say when you're having those those kind of heavy lifters and those who wanna, you know, max out as much as possible and kind of define themselves on the weight they're lifting. Like is and this is both as a coach and individual, so feel feel free to answer both sides of the coin with this question. Like, how long would you feel is kind of ideal, uh, kind of waiting between lifts when you're, say, maxing out? Because, like, I presume you don't just jump straight into your max effort without doing your few warm up build up sets. But, like, how long would you look for number one yourself? And then, if you're working with someone, what would be the ideal rest time between sets?
1: Yeah, I think just even before that, in terms of how often someone should be attempting a pb i think for beginners obviously if you're following a program the rate in which you're going to improve is going to be far quicker and therefore you probably do need to test your max every four to six weeks to actually be working off a relative a pb that's relative at that time because you'll obviously if you put a beginner on a 16-week program and they've never done a program before likelihood is after four weeks of progressive overload and consistent practice on a select exercise base they're going to see improvement and therefore by week eight they're actually K- far K- more capable than the weights that they're working off um, and therefore they won't get the full benefit out of the program whereas running people on shorter four-week blocks and letting them test a little bit more frequently is going to insist in well I mean that they're working off a, um, a percentage or a, a weight far close to what their actual percentage is in that given time if we're talking now purely on a one rm max attempt weight um everyone's different in terms of their recovery time purely for Olympic weightlifting because you could lift up to two minutes after um your last heavy lift in a competition we would kind of work off that two to three minutes rest in between your heavy singles however nine times out of ten for people that isn't Um, the case so resting closer three to five minutes on a submaximal lift would be proficient however you just got to make take into account the fact that you may go cold if you sit for too long in between your sets so I guess the key thing for me is you know monitoring I guess your heart rate your breathing um, to actually see yourself come back down close to a resting level before you go fully exerting yourself again Um, in between sets which like i said for me would be three to five minutes on a classical lift but could be closer five to eight minutes um on a squat and you know i trained a lot with australian strength coach one of the best um coaches in the world and he rests nearly up to 11 minutes on his top squatting sets because he has to get his wraps on etc which is you know seems like a fucking lifetime (laughs) in between sets but you know that that works well for him
0: yeah, horses for courses, I suppose. And one of the last questions, just that were sent in, and it's it's also kind of relatable to myself because I'm kind of currently debating it at the moment. And you yourself, and I'd be intrigued to see if you coach this as well. Is like you'd say use the hook grip when you'd be doing your cleans and some other lifts as well. And like for the listeners and even myself, like what does one gain from using that grip? and being confident enough to use it on the heavy lifts because even myself I still haven't got there whether I'm deadlifting whether I'm doing cleans I still haven't got to the point where I can use it I know you need to get the thumb tape but I'm just not there with it like is that something you'd introduce straight away when coaching Um, or would you kind of build it up if people are comfortable with it
1: a hundred and ten percent hook grip is a non-negotiable for Olympic weighted thing. It is, it is like wearing a fucking helmet when you ride a bike. It is, you must, must, must do hook grip. So you have up my mind anyway. <laughs> yeah, it is yeah. A non-negotiable. It's not even a, a conversation I'd have with an athlete or would you should be, should be not you must use hook grip it enables you to keep your arms relaxed first of all which is a key fault for a lot of people when they start for Olympic weightlifting they try and use their arms instead of their legs and it causes all sorts of bad technical habits not only that if you don't use hook grip then you rely on your grip strength okay which means your grip strength which is going to be far weaker than your leg strength will then become your limiting factor which you never want Have a limiting factor being far less than the muscles that actually should be used. Okay, so purely on those two bases alone is enough good enough reason to not to to sorry to use hook grip when you're Olympic lifting. The other thing is, as well, in terms of getting over the point of learning how to do it, it is does hurt and it is uncomfortable to begin with, but over a period of time, you're better off actually. You know, keeping the weights light to the point where it doesn't hurt so much, drill your technique, and then as the weights naturally build up a smooth progression of your hook grip, you'll actually have had a chance to ingrain a far better technique than you would have just going to the point straight away to where your thumbs are hurting um, when you're doing it and then swapping back to overgrasp grip. Just to give you an idea, if I was to do a clean grip deadlift, um, I mean, probably isn't My deadlift shit anyway, but (laughs) you'll still get the comparison. My deadlift without hook grip would be like 160 or 170. My deadlift with hook grip would be 240, 250. So, you know, it enables me to work a lot heavier and I let the weight sit into the big muscles to lift rather than actually my grip strength being the limiting factor. So I just say for people, for listeners, 100%, again, get on with hook grip. Um, and if after two months of hook gripping, you're still in pain, then use thumb tape, but it will become, you'll end up hook gripping the fucking, your your knife and fork by the end of it. It's <laughs> like it, become, it becomes the most natural way to hold hold things, you know, and also, especially if you're a CrossFitter listening to this, you know, if you can save your grip, your forearm strength um, from fatiguing with a barbell by hook gripping, if you're combining Lifting with gymnastics in a CrossFit workout, you're going to actually be able to hang on to the uh, rig bar for far longer than you would do if you actually toast your grip um, on dumbbells or with a barbell um, before actually making your way to the rig
0: yeah, it's funny you say that because one of the guys I was debating it with was saying that he, he hooks, grips everything and he's even finding himself hook gripping the gear stick in his car. So it's relatable yes. in regards to you. Yes. Met, you mentioned that about the cutlery. <laughs> and so he just the pretty much last question or two here and then I'll let you go. Enjoy the rest of your evening. Just really quickly, just about nutrition. Like, do you find... Like, would you be absolutely strict? Because I know, say, some of the CrossFitters that I would know or maybe some professional athletes, it kind of varies up a bit. But like, is there a certain, say, just specifically looking at workout time, like, is there a certain type of food you'd always be looking to have before you'd go and work out that you feel like, right, this will give me a good amount of energy to get through the workout? Or like, how kind of do you approach uh, diets in general with regards to building it around the workout?
1: Yeah, I think even if we just scrap the the workout thing for a minute and just, I'm just trying to think, you know, from the point of view of the average person that will be listening to this, you're not an Olympic level athlete, you're not an elite level athlete. And the biggest thing for me when it comes to nutrition, the most important thing is that is something that you can actually stick to. A lot of people will diet for an event, so diet for a holiday or diet for a competition. And they'll slip into eating habits that are just equally as bad as eating fucking chocolate or McDonald's every weekend um, to achieve their goal. And it actually becomes something that really isn't sustainable to your life or to your lifestyle. And the thing for me with nutrition is However you want to eat, it's got to be something that actually fits into, you know, like I said, your lifestyle. For example, if you've got kids, if you're having every night or every meal of the day, having to cook yourself a separate thing of steamed chicken and broccoli, um, well, your partner has takeaway two times a week. And The kids have a completely separate meal. That's going to be great for about two weeks before you go, actually, you know what? Fuck this. This is too much Mm. hard work. And you scrap and go back to doing what you're doing before. So I think the biggest thing for me with nutrition is making sure, however you decide to structure your diet, it's something that's actually sustainable and works in with your lifestyle and the people that are around you. And to make very small changes to start with. So, for example – If every day before you go to the gym, you have a chocolate brownie and you fucking love that chocolate brownie and it makes you feel great when you go to the gym, what is it about that chocolate brownie that's making you feel great? Probably the carbohydrates and a little bit of the the sugar. Okay, well, obviously having a chocolate brownie every day before training isn't probably going to be the best for you from a diet point of view. However, you could three of the five days of the week that you have that chocolate brownie substitute that for a a different source of carbs i.e., some rice and you know maybe just some multidextrin in a shake or you know for example something like that it's going to give you the same effect but not be as bad if you normally have two pints of beer after every training session every day during the week maybe limit yourself to three It's making small changes like that that over a period of time will become something that becomes a good habit and part of your identity rather than something that you just try and change for an event or something really quickly. So the way in which I actually structure dieting for me now is just to eat intuitively. I know having an Indian as much as I'd love to three nights a week after training, isn't going to be the best for me, but I'll have it one night a week and the other two nights a week I'll cook. I know if I'm sat at home on my laptop all day And I'm not training, I do not need as much food as I do when I do a double training session and coaching all day. So, therefore, intuitively, I'll increase calories on that day when I'm training really hard and reduce calories when I'm sedentary or not moving so much during the day. I know if I'm working out, I probably need a little bit more protein for recovery. I'll increase my protein. So, I think one of the key takeaway points for me when it comes to nutrition is first of all, keep it something that you can actually abide to make small changes and be intuitive you know if don't give yourself for example friday night's cheat night to have a takeaway but your mates going out for dinner on a wednesday um and you go oh no sorry i can't come out on wednesday because my cheat day is friday the more the head fuck that that gives you actually trying to abide to a diet like that will cause you more stress than it will make you gain in your improvement in your performance I can tell you now, even at my most elite time as an athlete, training for the Olympics, weighing out every single thing that I was eating, timing my meals, portion sizes, I had severe fucking stress and anxiety trying to sustain to that diet more so than it was actually benefiting me from when I was eating how I want and being happy and feeling good around training. Mm. so it's finding that happy balance and people I think underestimate the fact of you know how you're actually feeling from food is just as important as you know how you're physically looking and that's what I say to people but at the end of the day my machine my body is performance it's not aesthetic so therefore making sure that I'm basing off how I feel in my training sessions as to judging whether I'm getting enough calories or not based on what the scale is rather than basing it off the scale or how I look in the mirror is far more important
0: yeah no I'd agree I'd agree it's well said and as a guy who who went toe-to-toe with many bloody diets it was actually the kind of sustained one that wasn't as dramatic was the one that tended to work actually the best
1: yeah and probably one that you're actually still sticking to now or you know or at least employing elements of you know
0: yeah um i
1: i'm very like for me i can eat the same thing at pretty much every single day so i get food prep company i have four eggs on one slice of toast for breakfast um for five days of the week one day of the week i won't have breakfast and the other day of the week i'll have a smoothie for breakfast or two days we have a smoothie I then eat three of my meals, which are each 500 calories each throughout the day. And on the days where I don't train, I have two. And then my evening meal is fairly rounded. It'll be whatever I'm having with the missus. Two nights a week, we'll have fish. Two nights of the meat, I have white meat. One night of the week, I have red meat. And one night of the week, I don't have um, meat at all. And then I'll always have fairly rounded fats and carbs. Yeah. And I will have a fucking beer on the weekend if I want
0: one. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> and a takeaway. <laughs> yeah, here, here to that. And yeah, so lastly here, Sonny's last question here. Someone sent it in um before we obviously wrap things up, is and it is kind of a, a topic that is heavily discussed, is just the warm-up. And it's one thing that even my myself, I sometimes might get to the gym and just be like, screw, I'm going straight into it. In an ideal world it's like golf rather than the ride. Yeah. <laughs> rather than rocking up to the first tee two minutes before tea time and just gripping and ripping it. Like what what's kind of your stance on the warm-up? Like do you have a go to warm up that you'd religiously do? And then also while kind of answering that, like why do you feel it's something that is kind of ignored um in the industry across the board? I'm not saying by the top people, but in general, it seems to be kind of really um, okay, important.
1: First of all, why I think it's avoided is purely because if you're booked into a class that starts at six o'clock, naturally, you'll arrive at the gym five to six for the training session and therefore arrive straight in. And you expect that your class is going to warm you up specifically for your own needs for the session, which it's not. And that's the problem for, you know, a lot of people is at the end of the day, if you're going to classes, unless you've got a PT, that session is broad and it's not specific to your individual needs. So and you're not only that, you've not made time to work on your individual needs outside of um, the session class. So that's why generally I think, you know, warm ups will be missed. And, you know, just on, on that point, if you know that there's areas that you struggle a lot more on than other people's in the class. You've got to get in and make your own time to correct those issues or to warm up or to mobilize those things before you get into the class. And, you know, for me, in terms of how I approach my warm ups, I go, first of all, right, what am I doing today? Um, okay, I'm doing overhead work or jerks or cleaner jerk. I'm going to spend some time mobilizing my front lap position and warming up my shoulders because they're the two key areas that are going to be under fire in this training session so therefore i'll dictate my warm-up based on what's in the session but not only that like for me i always recommend mobility increasing range of motion is a good form of warming up for olympic weightlifting if you don't have that range of motion if you do then we still warm up and mobilize we still stretch out the bottom positions that we're going to get in but we'll then add the element of load Um, And therefore, we're developing strength and stability through that full range and using that as a form of um, warm-up. So, for example, if I'm putting this in a term that uh, my listeners will understand, for example, if um, I'm doing uh, snatch in my session, I would use an exercise like snatch balance or overhead squats under load to warm up for my snatch session. Now, as well, if I'm snatching and my goal is to get to 80%, in that day for five working sets. Where I always work backwards from my end goal and I'd go 75%, 70%, 65%, 60, 50, 40%. Okay. Mm-hmm. And that'll be my six to six to eight warm up sets before I get to my working set. And this is the thing, <laughs> a good point to finish on, like nine times out of ten when I go into to gyms and um, you see people warming up, they'll use the empty bar. And then they'll just go to grab the, the tens to put on the bar to start their session on snatch. And I'll go up to most people and I'll go, oh, okay, what, what's your PB on snatch? And they'll be like, oh, 65. <laughs> okay, so you've just, put, you've just put 40 kilos on the bar. So what's that as a percentage? You're well over fucking 50% on your yeah. first set. Whereas when I'm using 40 kilos for my first set as a percentage of my 160 kilo snatch, it's very small. Mm. so if you actually think about warming up as percentages you know leading up to your to your working sets your top ways that means you've got to go and grab the biscuits off the fucking rack collecting dust and put them on the bar first and do a few sets with the with the biscuits on and then the two <laughs> and a half and then the fives and then when you say that to people they go oh but that's fucking gay yeah. well unfortunately that's exactly the same as what i'm doing but relative to our percentages. And therefore, you're actually going to get the opportunity to ingrain a consistent movement pattern, warming up, as opposed to jumping to 60% and already getting straight into a substandard technique, just so people think you're hard because you've got the big weights on on your first set.
0: Yeah, yeah. well said. I, um, I have been guilty of that during my time. But <laughs> we've certain, all been fucking yeah, guilty we been that.
1: there. <laughs> we have all been guilty. I've been there. I want to put the reds on first set to look hard. Does it make me hard? No. It just hurts a few more sets before they start to warm up. I mean, I'm not gaining anything by doing that.
0: Yeah, no, I, I hear you. And just to finish here, Sony, I do a quick fire question where some people send on their quick fire questions and I mix in some of my own. There's only about five or six here. So um, first thing that pops into your head, feel free. And I always say, if there's anything incriminating said, we can always edit it. But I haven't had to do that yet in about 60-something episodes. So fingers crossed. So uh, this was kind of an obscure one because I'm sure everyone knows what you're up to on a snatch and cleans and stuff. But what is your PB for bench and deadlift? Uh,
1: 150 bench and 240 deadlift.
0: British office or US office?
1: Uh, British.
0: Your favorite film of all time?
1: Oh, god, that's so hard. Um, probably Leonardo DiCaprio. One of his films um, is great film. Shutter
0: Island, Catch of If You Can, Wolf yeah, Wall Street. <laughs> done, done, a, done a few <laughs> yeah, bangers.
1: Done a few bangers. Uh, yeah, I could go
0: there. What is your go-to coffee in a cafe? Or
1: coffee um, it would be an almond flat white, double okay. shot.
0: And what is your handicap in golf if you have one?
1: Uh, It used to be two when I stopped playing golf. I could probably still play to nine.
0: Okay, solid going. And second last one is your favorite CrossFit athlete and why?
1: Um, Probably going to be Noah Olsen. Just purely on the basis that he's such a friendly guy. He's always accommodating. He's funny. Um, I like his work, work ethic. And, you know, he's just, He's a very personable guy who has an incredible work ethic and, you know, um, yeah, he's really friendly and always makes you want to smile when you're training or around him.
0: Mm. And the person who actually asked me that, if you could quickly answer, did did you ever think about getting into CrossFit properly?
1: Um, I've, I've done CrossFit before. I still train CrossFit three days a week. Um, still love it. Would I do it competitively? Um, Not till I'm at the point where I've got no other focuses and I could eat, sleep and train uh, like I was going to train for the games. Um, Other than that, I'll just continue to do it recreationally and enjoy it.
0: Cool. And lastly, sum yourself up in three words. Um, Driven,
1: um,
0: funny, and affectionate well said well said Well us listen thanks a million for taking time out of your evening to have a chat i know we're uh, on different scales of the timescale but we got to got it done in the end so i want to thank you no for problem that. at all
1: thank you very, thank you very much for having me on i think you know it's been great to give the guys something a little bit different than what podcasts about before and yeah i hope the listeners have enjoyed this and just before um i go i just want to say if anyone that's listening um does want to maybe give my academy a try or wants help getting into the sport of olympic weightlifting do not be afraid to drop me a message on instagram at sunnywebstergb you can also start a free trial um, at my academy which has got all my different training programs on um within it via sunnywebster.com uh, but like i said if you ever need anything help from me or some direction on what you feel would be best to start with then please just hit me up on instagram but of course have a look through uh, my page as well there's always lots of cool free content in there for you to learn from as well
0: for sure and i'll attach all the links um below on my on my different links and on the different platforms so make sure you check them out and um yeah now listen sonny enjoy the rest of your day looking forward to seeing what is brother the future holds And uh, thanks again for coming on.
1: Cheers, buddy. Take care.